0: If people only knew us by our social media accounts, what would they learn? On social media, no one ever has a bad day. Family vacations go perfectly. Our days are spent relaxing and playing. Everyone gets along all the time. But what about the space between the joy and fun? What do our families look like when we're not in front of the camera, the times when we're most vulnerable? No more carefully staged moments, no more filters. Let's talk about the real stories behind the crafted pictures we let the world see. Good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, at an off-site campus or maybe in the Chapel Warehouse here or uh, around the world on the internet. Uh, We're glad you guys are here too. And uh, I know when I'm gone, I watch internet campus. I'm part of that community. And so we're glad that you guys are here. Wow. What What an awesome day. What an awesome weekend. Hey, let me just, before I get into what I'm going to talk about, new series and all of that, uh, let me just uh, mention a couple of things I know you just saw a, an announcement on financial peace University and small groups Dave Ramsey is coming here have you guys heard Dave Ramsey you know he's probably the foremost on radio um, guy on on finances and how to deal with your finances and he only comes to two or three churches a year and, and he's coming here and he's gonna it's gonna be fun and be packed out we're all getting together to do small groups now you um, as a leader, we asked our leader, or the the church leadership asked our leaders to go through uh, Financial Peace University small group ahead of time. I'm in a small group. My wife and I are in a marriage small group. You know, uh, we're screwed up just like everybody else and <laughs> we need help. And we have this great small group and they asked us, hey, we want you to go through financial peace. I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm like, dude, we don't want to do that. I mean... Uh, I know finance stuff and all this, and, 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 but we submitted. None of you feel that way, I know. But uh, it was awesome. It really was. It was a great few weeks, and I actually learned a few things. Debbie learned a lot. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. And so if, you can, if, if, you can, if you're already a leader, do it. Go for it. And uh, if not, uh, step up. You just co-lead with Dave Ramsey, basically, is all you do. And uh, speaking of finances and money, we uh, we had a campaign here to raise finances for a new building. I mean, this service is packed out here and packed out in the chapel. And Mount Pleasant is growing, and we want to grow with that. And so uh, we're building a new facility here. And um, uh, you guys committed, I think, ten million million one one year uh, toward doing that. And we've already received uh, $4 million. And I know one of the things I was doing this week is taking a look at my commitment and going, okay, about a third of the way through for the year in our commitment, we're going to ramp that up. But uh, uh, people are asking, uh, when are we going to start building? Have you ever built a house? Anybody built a house? How many of you, you started exactly on time, it got finished when they said they would, and it was the exact amount of money or less? We're trying to keep the money where it needs to be. But with Mount Pleasant uh, right now, the permitting process, we've already been approved, but the permitting process is dragging behind. And so it's going to start when it starts. Okay. Probably next couple, three months, you'll see some stuff start to happen. And uh, so people have asked questions. So I'll tell you about it. And that's not why we did the Dave Ramsey thing. It's because Dave could come when he could come. And that's not about what we can get from you. That's through you, and for you to help you in your own challenges. Everybody understand that? And so we're excited about that. All right, so here we go. Have you ever looked at an old family picture and thought, what were we thinking when we wore that? And our hairstyles were, how many of you have ever done that? Have you? And you show it to your kids and they go, mom. I mean, that doesn't look good. Here's what's funny, though, is if you took a family picture Today, and I gotta tell you, you guys look good. If you took a family picture today, in about what, five, ten years, you're gonna look at it and go, What, what, what? You know, I mean, that's just fail, you know, family picture fail. It's just kinda like that. Well, here's another concept. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever looked at an old family picture and thought, That picture doesn't match what was going on in our lives at that time? You ever had one of those? A picture may paint a thousand words but sometimes it doesn't tell the real story. I wanted to bring out another family picture, couldn't find it. And some of you know we moved into this little 600 square foot apartment on a barn about a year, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago. And uh, so everything's in storage, we're building a house and we won't be living in a tiny house forever. It's been kind of fun, good experience. But I couldn't find anything, can't find anything, couldn't find a picture that I wanted to see either. and. But let me describe it to you. We took this picture probably three years after we moved here. And it, it was in front of our house. And my mother and father had come to visit us. And um, also, uh, well, my whole family, my brothers and sister and their, their families. And so everybody was together. It was after church on Sunday. They're getting ready to go home. So we thought, let's take a family picture. You've done those, haven't you? And so we all lined up, gave our best smile. We are, were in our Sunday uh, clothes back then. We dressed up a little more than we do the, today and the picture looks great but the picture does not describe what's going on my mom is just months away from dying five-year battle with cancer uh my father's angry Uh, he doesn't know how to handle his emotions this is the only woman he's ever loved and this happens to other people it doesn't happen to us i'm discouraged behind the pictures if you looked in my eyes I'm discouraged. We've got the family thing going on, but the church is not, it's, it's just not happening. It's not progressing like I thought it would when we planted Seacoast, and we didn't grow in the first five years, and, and uh, we, it, I'm just discouraged. And, and I look in the eyes of the kids, and some of the kids, my kids and some of my siblings' children are, are poised to make decisions that are not going to be good. And so I look at that picture, and it looks great on the outside. But behind the scenes, it doesn't tell the story. They don't always tell the story. So that's kind of the premise of this series. It's called InstaFam. Now We'll have some very positive parts of it. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the pictures that you don't show. Okay, we're going we're to talk about the, uh, our, our family our family pictures. And let me tell you what's going on. Next week, the week after that, the week after that, it's going to be a four-week series, are going to be very prescriptive. In other words... We're going to have a script. Here's some things you can do. We're going to look at the Bible. What does it say about specific areas? Next week, it's going to be marriage. Okay, it's going to be specifically marriage. I was going to do that one this week. I feel like this message is, is much better for the first week. Made a change on that. Earlier this week, and so next week it's going to be marriage specifically, and it's going to be PG-13, okay? Because I want to just talk about some things that are on my heart. So if you have kids, it'd be a great week to get them into the children's program, so that you don't have uncomfortable conversations on the way home. Which is fine if you want to do that. That's I'll help you out there, but but uh, probably be better to to do, to do it to do it that way. And uh, then the following week we're going to do uh, a parenting, uh, single parenting, family. Uh, uh, uh you know uh, uh, marriage uh, parenting families and how we d- some pictures of that and what does the Bible say and then the fourth week we're going to do uh, what if the vow breaks when the vow breaks uh, what about divorce remarriage conflict singles we'll, we'll do a lot of that what's interesting is uh, last night's service afterwards I was talking to um, three single ladies that always sit on the front row and they bring their friends and and this, this time it was just the three of them, not all of their friends. And they said, we had a discussion when we heard what the series was going to be about. And we, we decided, well, maybe we'll take a pass on this because it's painful. And I understand those those feelings. Uh, but they said, we, we decided to trust you. And we came anyway. And they said, during the message, we texted our friends and said, you missed it. You missed it. You should have been here. Now, you can choose to take a pass if you want to. But I believe that God... Uh, is going to speak to all of us every week. And so I just challenge you to be a part because uh, I, 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 th- I think there's some good things uh, that are, that are going to happen. This week is going to be descriptive. I'm just going to tell you stories. Uh, what do we know about family portraits? And we're going to look at some family pictures from the Bible, and we're just going to describe what we see, okay? So let's buckle up and go. What, what do we know about InstaFam pics? Here's the first thing we know, is that there is no such thing as a perfect family picture. There is no such thing as a perfect family picture. Would you agree with me that the frustrating thing about family portraits is you can't get everybody to look good at the same time? Anybody there? You know, maybe you have portraits or you have somebody that does it, they take several pictures and you're supposed to choose what's the best ones. What is the best picture? It's the one that you look good in, right? That's the one. Doesn't matter if there's a, you know, a goober hanging out of somebody's nose in a picture. You look great. But it's hard to get everybody, it's it's real hard to get everybody looking good. I love taking pictures. Keys to good pictures is lighting, focus, and cooperative subjects. And also, lots of pictures. That's what I love about digital. Used to be you'd take, you know, three or four and that's all you could do. I have 20,000 digital pictures on a disc that I have no idea the organization. I don't do, I'm an artist. And, And, you know, whatever, but... Uh, you got to take dozens to get a good one. And it's, it's, what's funny is sometimes the picture isn't really the picture that you took. Let me, let me uh, tell you this. So uh, about three years ago, my family tasked me as the family photographer to take a picture that we could put on a Christmas card right? And they wanted the grandkids, and at that point we had nine, now we have 14. They wanted the grandkids on the picture, so we went to James Island County Park. Anybody ever been there at Christmas time? They always have a Santa Claus who scares the living daylights out of little tiny kids. <laughs> great place to take a picture, right? So they get all these kids up with Santa, and they said, okay, Greg, you take the picture. We're depending on you and counting on you. Now, I want to show you the picture that came out of that. This was our Christmas card, okay? Looks great, doesn't it? Can I tell you a secret about this? Uh, This one right here was in the midst of major meltdown. This one kept wandering off. One of them was making faces. I think this one was doing this all the time. And there was not a single picture that was good of everybody. Thank God for Photoshop. (laughs) And filters. This is three or four pictures that I put together. This picture never happened. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's just real hard to get a good family picture. Now, here's what we did. In this series, we said, well, let's take biblical families because we're biblical, right? Let's take what (laughs) biblical family has a great family picture. Was that tough? Was that tough? We decided, okay, well, let's go with that Adam and Eve. That's the first family. And the problem with their family picture is before the fall, they didn't wear clothes. And so we couldn't use that. And we found that, though, after the fall, somebody apparently took a picture of their family. I don't know how they did it. There's only four people on the planet at the time. And maybe they set the camera over here. and did. I, I have no idea. They look very European, whatever. That's the best we could find. What a great family. Adam, Eve, everything's perfect. Cain. This one killed this one. It's not a good family. So we thought, this one, I love this one. This is Isaac and Rebecca. Have you ever read their story? It's one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. I cry every time because I'm just that way. I cry every time I read it because it says that the the very first time that Isaac laid eyes on Rebecca, it says he wept. It was perfect. Then they had kids. And so, and their kids are so different. This one uh, belongs to the NRA. And this one, this one's a poet, okay? And they just are so opposite. And to make things worse, Rebecca really likes this one best. You're not supposed to do that. And dad likes him. Dad gets to be kind of an old, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, whatever, a, a, a pushover, and you got a classic sibling rivalry, and one brother cheats the other. You think your holiday dinners are tense? Uh, we decide we're not going to use this particular family. And so we, we, we thought, well, how about the arguably, well, probably not even arguably, the greatest character in the Old Testament is who? It's David, King David. We thought, well, let's take his family. Oh, they put the fun back in dysfunctional. I mean, it's just unreal. You first see him when uh, the prophet Samuel is trying to find a king, and God told him it's going to be in David's family, and David's dad brings out the brothers. He doesn't even bring David because his dad doesn't even think he'd make a good king. Okay? And then, once David gets married and becomes king, you need a scorecard to figure out which kid belongs to which mother from which marriage. Two of his sons on two different occasions tried to kick him out of the family business and take his job, and that shouldn't come as a surprise because his discipline style with one of them is described in 1 Kings 1 and verse 6. Look what it says. Now, his father, that's David's son, King David, had never disciplined him at any time. How do you know he would be fun in the carpool, you know, going to school in the morning? Dad never disciplined him. It says he never even asked him, What are you doing? David was a man after God's own heart, even with all of his screw-ups in the Old Testament. And he was a great king. He was a lousy father. So we couldn't use that one. You know, it's just real hard. In fact, we, we couldn't find a perfect picture. And the truth is your picture's not perfect and neither is mine. You've probably in your family got some disappointment, some misunderstandings, you might have a spiritual mismatch, maybe a divorce or two, a wayward kid in your picture. You sprinkle in a mother-in-law who doesn't know how to spell the word boundaries, don't point. <laughs> maybe you've got a daughter or daughter-in-law that thinks they're the only one that's ever had a child. And you have an uncle who's an embarrassment or even worse. The possible combinations in this whole family picture thing are limitless. The more you put in, the crazier it gets but we don't want anybody to see the flaws. We're all like that, so we p- post perfect pictures and we're awesome and it's not true. There's no such thing as a perfect family picture. Here's the second thing I know, is that there's no such thing as a completed family picture. A completed family picture. What I mean by that is seldom does the story end the moment the picture is snapped. In fact, that's why they look so funny to us. Snap the picture, And family moves on. People move on. Times change. We look different. People are different. Sometimes the characters change. There's there's no completed pictures. In the moment, that's the story. But unless everybody else dies, everybody dies the minute the flash goes off, the picture is going to change. I wanted to illustrate that. I found one on social media that I think is a great illustration of the fact that the picture changes. I found this. You got the Trumps and the Clintons and they love each other. That picture changed, okay? So that's as political as I'm getting today. Every picture is in process. The truth is every generation can make choices that change the story. See, we we tend to think of our choices as immediate and only impacting me. I'm going to make this decision, this choice. How will it affect me today? This job change, how's it going to affect me today? This move, how's it going to affect me today? This divorce, how's it going to affect me today? And the truth is, almost all of our decisions, today's choices will impact generations tomorrow. Um, I made a decision in 1987 what is that it's a lot of years ago 29 years ago 29 years ago made a choice to move to South Carolina it was not a popular choice in my family Uh, my oldest son Jason was born in Fort Collins Colorado I grew up in Denver my other three children were all born in Freeport Illinois small town northern Illinois they had friends it's settled. we lived there for about eight and a half years. I announced we're moving to South Carolina. Not popular. On the way down, our kids said, we're from Illinois. And I, we, wanna, we want you to know, as soon as we get a driver's license, we're moving back. We're not going to stay here. One of our kids said, we don't want to speak Southern. <laughs> I won't tell you who that is, but it is your lead pastor. <laughs> so if you took a family picture 29 years later, this is what it looks like. Three of my four kids married Southern people. Only one of them went back to Colorado and found a real, no, that's not that. One, One of my daughters married a Tennessee volunteer, for goodness sake. The other two families are Clemson fans. They all use words like y'all and all y'all and carry as in, hey, I'll carry you to the grocery store. You don't talk like that in Illinois. In fact, one of the families used double names for one of their kids, Greta Kate. You don't do that in the North, okay? It's the South. What happened? I made a decision that changed the family story. It was okay. Choices can change the story for good or bad. In fact, my grandfather, I told you that story won't belabor it. My my family were outlaws. My family occupied the best jails in the South and Southwest. Until my grandfather and grandmother made a commitment to follow Christ. Went from outlaws to Christ followers. And that decision, I'm the beneficiary of a good choice that changed our family story but not all choices are good. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 11 we read of Solomon, David's son, who made a choice that changed the story. His dad David made some mistakes. He did. But he recovered. And he chose to follow God. In fact, the New Testament calls him a man after God's own heart, which talks about the restoration power of Jesus and God. And it says that he left he left the next generation Set up well for success. If you're about my age, I hope that's your desire. I hope that's your story. My story is I want to finish well. I've made mistakes, haven't always chosen the right thing or done the right thing for my family. But I'm a man I hope that follows God. I hope I'm a man that will finish well and set up the next generation for success. I love David's story. But Solomon's is a little bit different. In, in First Kings chapter 11, Solomon makes some bad choices. Um, he makes a choice that changes the story for future generations. Read with me. Now, now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. That's a problem. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. Let's just kind of pause there and think about it. I've got a picture of them. Here they are. Now, you know that picture doesn't tell the story. you think there's some emotions going on behind that picture? You think everybody's just happy and it's just like a sister wives. What a weird show. Some of my family watches it. I don't praise God. I'm praying for him. so So what's wrong with this story? Well, it's multiple wives. Well, other people had multiple wives then. It's the foreign wives it's who he married. Well, what's such a big deal about that? Well, Solomon would say, I fell in love. I followed my heart. We had so much in common. What's wrong with a great love story? Let me tell you what's wrong with a great love story. In this particular case, God said no. In fact, if you look at the next verse, it says, the Lord had clearly instructed his people not to intermarry with those nations. Why? Because God is the cosmic party pooper and does not want Solomon to have a, a great life no that's not it a lot of times that's what we see is there ever a time in your life when God's will and your will don't intersect yeah that'll happen regularly in fact Isaiah says God's ways are higher than my ways His ways are not my ways. And when they're not, I have to make a choice. Am I going to assert myself and take the the moral high ground over the God of the universe and assume that I know more than He does? Or am I going to submit my will to Him? And a lot of times when we're trying to make that choice, we think that God's trying to spoil our fun. Because we know more than He does about what's going to make us happy. That's what Solomon's after, is happiness. But here's why God said that. There's always... A why before the what? God has a why. If God says this in the Bible and, and you're going, well, I don't know that I agree with that and culture doesn't say that, and, you know, there's always a why. And here's the why. He says because the woman they married would lead them to worship their gods. What's wrong with that? Because God has a, has a system based on love and justice. Other systems are not based on that. Many based on power. Some of them, some of them uh, uh, go so far as, as to have child sacrifice and human beings are not at the top and the, the crown jewel of creation. And God said it'll get polluted. And so don't do that. The Lord had clearly instructed him not to, and yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives, that's a problem, and 300 girlfriends, that's a bigger problem. And sure enough, they led his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship their gods instead of trusting only in the Lord, uh, the God, his God as his father David had done. Solomon worshiped and it names a bunch of them. And then it says, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. And the Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. God had warned him on a couple of occasions. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. And so now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my laws, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. That's a sad thing, but that's not the saddest thing in this chapter. It says, but for your, the sake of your father David... I will not do this while you're still alive. He says, I made David a promise. David followed me. He was not perfect by any means, but he had a heart for me, wanted to do what's right. And I said to him, this kingdom will be in your family. And because of that, I'm not gonna tear it away from you. Here's the sad part. I will take the kingdom away from your son. I can't hardly read that without emotion. His son, Made poor choices that they learned from their dad, which affected their nephews and their nieces and their cousins and their friends for generation after generation. In fact, it was several generations before somebody said, Time out. Let's take a new picture. Let's change this story. Choices. Choice can be big and complicated or small and routine. It can be a choice to become a Christ follower or not. It can be a choice to obey God's word. Or not. It can be a choice to be faithful to your spouse or not. It can be a choice to conquer an addiction or not. It can be a choice to get control of your mouth or your anger or not. It can be a choice to forgive or to hold on to a grudge. It can be a choice to quit or keep going until you break through. It can be a choice of friendships of time commitments, of activities. It goes on and on and on. If you don't hear anything else from this message today, hear this. Every choice you make must be seen generationally. What is the family picture going to look like? You're going to make choices today, some big, some small. You're going to make choices tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And every one of those choices are made in community. You're not in a vacuum. It doesn't just impact you. When you make a choice, you need to think, how is this choice going to play out? How is it going to change the story? Is, is, is it going to change the story for good or for bad? For not just me, but for generation after generation. Because there are generations inside of you. God, We, we tend to measure success, measure time on a clock and God measures it in generations. It's going to change the story. Will the narrative be better off or worse? You say, well, I'm not in a family now. It doesn't really matter. Really? Does anybody share your name? Yeah. Nobody is totally alone. There's no such thing as a perfect family and there's no such thing as a completed family picture. And let me tell you a third thing, and I love this one. There's no such thing as an unfixable family picture, as an unfixable family picture. What does God do with broken pictures? He he does what I did with the the, uh, Christmas picture is he puts a bunch of them together. He makes a collage out of it. He puts his touches. He brings healing and glory out of all of them. So what I want to do with my time left is I want to read you an Old Testament story. Actually, I'm going to tell it to you because it reads like a reality show, okay? You're going to love it. So this is a true story. In the Old Testament, there was a man named Judah. Judah had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. What an unfortunate name for a son. Lesson, be careful what you name your kids. Oh, we love that name. He's going to have to deal with it in middle school. I bet he had a tough time. Okay. So Ur is his oldest son, marries a woman named Tamar. Say Tamar together. Tamar. Now, Ur is a really bad dude. We don't know much about him. We know he's a bad dude. God killed him. He's done. <laughs> Emoji. All right. So, by law, Tamar is to marry Onan, his brother. Okay? Now, so she does. We do know a little bit about Onan. This is not PG-13, so I'm not going to tell you about all about Onan. You can go read it. Let's just say he refused to give her kids. He's off, too. Okay? Died. Done. Now, Judah sees a pattern here, and he's blaming Tamar. And he doesn't want Tamar to get with his youngest child, who's not old enough to be married now anyway. So he goes to Tamar, and he says, hey, go back to your family. When Sheila gets old enough, I'll let you know. We'll have a little ceremony. Everything will be cool. Well, that never happens. And so Tamar goes to her family, and she feels abandoned and rejected. She waits. She gets older. She's a childless widow. Uh, She's a disgrace in the society she's in. She's poor. She does something desperate. She takes off her widow garments. She puts on a veil, and she hangs out by the gate of the city where her father-in-law Judah would pass by while tending sheep. So sure enough, one day Judah passes by. He doesn't recognize her. He thinks she's a prostitute. So she, he solicits sex. How many of you know he has a problem that he's hiding? Okay. Well, they negotiate a price, which is a young goat. He's only got sheeps that day, doesn't have a goat. He says, I'll pay you later. She knows he's not a promise keeper. So she asks for his personal seal, which is kind of like a copy of his driver's license and his bracelet and a walking stick. They sleep together. She, he doesn't know it, but she gets pregnant. She doesn't know it obviously at the time. Well, uh, anyway, Judah leaves, goes home, sends his servant back to give her the goat and to retrieve his stuff. But nobody knows anything about a prostitute. I've never seen anybody. So Judah finally says, forget it. She can keep the stuff and we'll just move on. Word comes back a few months later that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is pregnant. He doesn't know it's him. He doesn't know that she was the one. But he does think This will handle a bad situation for me. I don't want her marrying Selah. So take her to court and have her stoned. She'll she'll be killed for being an immoral woman. Well, the problem is, is that she says, "Um, the guy who gave me this stuff is the one who got me pregnant. He freaks out when he sees his driver's license in her hands. And so he repents, and says, I'm going to give you Sheila to be your husband. And Sheila is really thrilled with that. (laughs) What a screwed up family. Would you agree with that? That's worse than your family. Okay. Five generations later, same family, there's a woman named Rahab. Now, Rahab worked at soiling the family name. She didn't pretend to be a prostitute. Her business card was hookers or us. (laughs) Not true, but it enhances the story. She was a prostitute. And uh, career choice. Some righteous men sought refuge in her city. She protects them, helps them escape their pursuer. She becomes a hero in Israel's story. So she gets married and has a son named Boaz. Boaz becomes a wealthy businessman and he is given the opportunity to redeem a woman who is at risk of dishonor and disgrace. Anybody know her name? Ruth, okay. Ruth is a single woman. She's a widow, and she's in a tough spot. She needed a husband um, for survival, and so not of just herself, but of her and her mother-in-law. Anybody know her mother-in-law's name? Naomi. Naomi is this wily chick Uh, Think of Kathy Bates as Mama Boucher in Waterboy. Not that I saw the movie, but it would be similar to that. (laughs) Uh, Tells Ruth to check out her distant relative, Boaz, see if she can snag him. Gives her a devious plan. It works. She and Boaz get married, happily ending a romantic subplot in this ongoing saga. Boaz and Ruth's great-grandson, Sets the standard on dysfunction. Perhaps you know him as David, and we've got a little bathtub because he's a powerful man who spies on another man's wife taking a bath, commits adultery with her, kills him. Sordid family saga, full of sex, murder, disgrace, and dishonor. One of the reasons you should read the Old Testament spreads all across the Old Testament. True story. Now. The New Testament retells this little soap opera in the form of a genealogy, and it's found in Matthew's Gospel. And he caps off the genealogy with the tale of a teenage pregnancy. That tale begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus, son of David, and Abraham. So what's the point? What's the point? Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, all broken all from dysfunctional places, part of the family portrait of Jesus' family tree. He posts it on the Instagram of the day, the Gospel of Matthew. See, God redeems their story and weaves it into a larger story, which is his story, and that's what he wants to do with your story and my story. In Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, it says, to all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes joy instead of mourning praise instead of despair for the lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his own glory can i tell you one more story before we close before facebook <clears throat> we used to have church directories anybody remember church directories that's when uh, The church would hire a photographer, he would come in, you'd make appointments, you'd bring your family in, very uncomfortable, they would take family pictures, he would upsell you on the family pictures, try to get you to buy his family pictures, but ultimately they would appear in a directory, alphabetical order, so that you'd know who was in your church. New people coming into the church, we would give them a directory and show them who all of their people are, everybody looked great. In fact, in my little church that I grew up in, one of my friends, his family looked really, really good. Had a a nice-looking dad, mom. It was my friend and his sister. Pictures paint a thousand words, but that one didn't tell the story. Dad was abusive, verbally, physically, probably sexually. Mom didn't come to the protection of the kids. So my friend decided early on, I don't want anything to do with this. Graduated early, left home, moved as far away as he could, and threw himself into a career. He didn't even want to think about family. So he moved away and he bottled it up inside. Years passed. And his picture looked really great on the outside. In fact, he rose to the very top of the particular career area field that he was in. But inside he was broken and wounded. He had become just like his dad, only he didn't have kids or family to take the dysfunction out on. And finally he decided to take it to Jesus. Jesus. And he allowed Jesus to pick up the pieces and he trusted him to paint a mosaic and to change the story. He and I have talked several times over the years about what he discovered. He discovered, first of all, that Jesus saw what others didn't. He knew about the hidden hurt and the brokenness behind the picture. Over time, he discovered that God could be trusted to bring justice to the abusers. He realized that his own bitterness was allowing his abusers to live rent free in his own heart. He gave that to Jesus. He discovered that Jesus had the harshest words, not for the broken, but for the puffed up, those who wanted to to present and project the perfect picture. He also discovered that Jesus himself suffered at the hands of those who tried to look perfect and public but really weren't so jesus understood his brokenness and it took time but my friend made changes choices that changed the story he has a family now it's a beautiful family not perfect but beautiful he's chosen not to continue the old story he chose he and i talked intensely over the years about this choice he chose to forgive his dad and honestly dad hasn't changed much but it's not as painful for him to think about. And besides, this story is not about his dad. It's not even about my friend. It's about the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. Because there are no perfect pictures, there are no completed pictures, and there's no pictures that God can't weave as a part of his story. As we approach response time, can we talk about your picture just for a minute? can I ask you this? Where is your picture broken? You say, well, ours isn't. Yeah, they all are. It might just be slightly cracked. Maybe there's tension between you and another family member that's brought on by differing personalities, or maybe it's finances, or maybe it's a recent loss. It could be disappointment in the choices that maybe kids have made or a spouse or even parents. But there's a crack in your family picture or yours might be smashed. There's the bitterness of an affair. There's a divorce or maybe there's abuse. Can I ask you today, what choice are you gonna make that will change that story? Maybe today it's a choice, as my grandfather did, my grandmother, to follow Christ. And it changed the story of the trajectory of the Surratt family. And maybe you need to make a decision today to follow Christ and change the story. Or maybe it's a choice to obey an obvious command. It may very well be that during our time together that the Holy Spirit has prompted you, there's an area of disobedience in your life. Trust me with it. Solomon didn't trust me. You can trust me. Maybe you make a choice in an area of disobedience and you're gonna obey an obvious command. Maybe it's a choice to forgive a wrong or maybe it's a choice just simply to bring the picture book to God and trust him with the rest of the story. Your family picture isn't perfect. It's not complete. But the good news is that God redeems broken things. And you can walk out of here today with a better beginning to the next chapter of your story than you ever could have dreamed. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this wonderful group of people who have gathered here today and to worship you and to hear from your word. God, I'm so grateful that you care enough about us that you sent Jesus Christ to die for us so that we wouldn't have to reap the consequences of our stories and our brokenness. And so today, we just focus on you. God, there are some among us who there's a brokenness that's just been discovered, maybe just today or yesterday or last week or this month. It feels like our world is falling apart. but you knew. Just because it's a surprise to us doesn't mean it's a surprise to you. And if it's not a surprise to you, you're at work in the background on healing and bringing about a hopeful future. And so God, we submit our story to you. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.